coming up next on Contemplate. C.S. Lewis, who you may have heard me mention before, um, he says this about doubts. He says, now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. So you have it, no matter what you believe, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your worldview is, there are always going to be those times, those moods, those doubts that come. The question is, what do you do with them? Ever have doubts? We all do. About all kinds of things, including our faith. So what do we do? And how do we handle them? That and a lot more is on the way. And here's Pastor David. Next verse, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So, Philip now is taking scripture. When we say scripture here, we're talking about the Old Testament. New Testament is not available yet, right? And so he has the Old Testament scripture, and he preaches Jesus. Well, how does he preach Jesus from the Old Testament? Well, I'll tell you. There are tons and tons and tons of references to who Jesus is and predicting what will happen in his life in the Old Testament. He's going through these. In fact, if you get the time, we don't have time this morning, but if you get the time this week, read Isaiah 53, this chapter that he's reading out of here, and count how many things are said about Jesus in that that historically came exactly true. It's exactly true. I mean, literally, he did this, did that, he'll do this, he'll do that. It's all right there in that chapter. So he would have started right there probably with the rest of chapter 53, and then he would have gone all the way back to Genesis and shown the story, right? He would have shown the sacrificial system that this guy would have likely been familiar with, what it was for, what it was pointing to, all of that. He's preaching all of this stuff to Jesus, about Jesus, right? Creation, fall, redemption, how it all makes sense. Now, the next verse, in verse 36, it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? In preaching Jesus and what it means to follow Christ, Philip likely explained to him all about baptism, all about how when someone chooses to follow Christ, they identify themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in baptism. And it's the obedient step that says, I'm a follower of Jesus to other people, that, that, it's, that it's the public profession of faith. So he understood that, and as soon as he sees water, he's like, hey, hook me up. He's saying, I'm in. I want to be a Christ follower too. Now, recognize what's happening here, okay? Two things related to Jesus' great commission and his instructions that we read in Acts 1.8 earlier, okay? First in the Great Commission, it says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here we see Philip in this position to do that. This guy wants to be baptized. He wants to be a disciple. So the Great Commission is being fulfilled. We also see, and we've seen this, this pattern over the last little bit, couple chapters here. He said, Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Right? That's what he said. Now, we see that it did, in fact, start in Jerusalem. And then as they disperse, it goes to Judea and Samaria. And now we have this guy from Ethiopia. And he is going to find Christ. And he is going to go all the way back to Ethiopia. Now, a really cool little fact about this is that I've told you guys before, this is the Greek world, right? The Hellenistic world. We talked about Hellenistic Jews or the Jews that were from other places who spoke Greek rather than Hebrew, right? So people all over would have spoken Greek. In fact, the text of Isaiah that this guy was reading was most likely in Greek, 
They had a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and this guy was most likely reading from that Greek. So the Greek world and the Greek culture was widespread. One of the big names in Greek culture that you may remember from sophomore English is a guy named Homer. This is not Homer Simpson. This is a different guy, Greek guy, probably smarter than Homer is portrayed. Um, you may have remember, remember reading the Odyssey when you were in school, right? And in the Odyssey, remember Agamemnon and all that stuff and, and Odysseus and all this stuff is happening. Uh, he talks about, Homer talks about Poseidon going to Ethiopia. And he says, he goes to Ethiopia and he says, Ethiopia is at the world's end, at the end of the world. So he would have, likely these guys would have seen that interesting fact in this, right? That this guy is now, or at least Philip, who understood what Christ had called to Jerusalem, right? And then Philip was part of the Samaria and now end of the earth, literally in the Greek world, what's considered the end of the earth in Ethiopia. He's getting to see this happen, right? And so this guy has to be baptized. What does Philip do? Let's read verse 37. It says, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Um, what does Philip say is required? Believe. Believe with all your heart, right? That's what's required. Remember the question he asked, what hinders me from being baptized? Has he been hindered from the Lord? Yes. He went to Jerusalem. He was probably not allowed past the gate of the Gentiles, right? The court of the Gentiles. This guy's been hindered. So here, Philip has made this incredible statement to this guy. Okay, remember, he would have probably been familiar with that passage I talked about in Isaiah, like eventually you're also going to get to be part of God's family. You're going to get to be in that situation. And so this guy's saying, what hinders me now? You've talked to me about Jesus. What hinders me now? And Philip is explaining, hey, you do not have to be, you do not have to become Jewish. You do not have to be physically perfect. You do not have to have all of that stuff. There was a death for your sins, his resurrection, and we no longer look at all that stuff. See, the law had been a mirror. And that mirror, when we look into the law, what we see is how far we are from perfection, what we call holiness. How, how far aside we've gone from what God has required. But no one, no one, whether it was this guy with his physical imperfections and all this kind of stuff, or whether it was the, the highest of the Pharisees, no one had ever kept the law perfectly. And so no one was able to get there without this whole sacrificial system that was going on, whatever. And he's shown him how that points to Jesus. And now what hinders you? Nothing. Nothing. All you have to do to be a Christ follower is to ask the Lord to forgive your sins, to confess that he's the Lord, to follow him, right? And so that's what he tells him. If you believe it in your heart, that's what you need. And his response is, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, okay? And we see this belief and then the belief with the confession and then immediately he wants to be baptized, right? So verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So we see that baptism traditionally in the church comes right after your decision, right? Not a few years later when you decide that you're comfortable enough getting your head under the water, but the obedient thing to do is to get baptized right away. We see this guy, he's, he's in a hurry to get baptized. He wants to show that he's a follower of Jesus, and that's what he does. Um, what about this issue, though, where Philip says, you got to believe with all your heart? Um, I know that some people sometimes get concerned, and they say, what if I have doubts sometimes? Am I not really a Christ follower if sometimes I doubt? 
Is that a bad thing that I have doubts sometimes? Because some people feel guilty about having doubts, right? It says here, you got to believe with all your heart if you want to be saved. So what does he mean? Um, here's what I would say. Uh, there's doubt and there's rejection, okay? We all deal with doubts. Sometimes I doubt, have doubts about whether my wife loves me. But you have doubts, right? But doubts are different than stopping believing. I might have a doubt and wonder, but I don't stop believing that she loved me. You might have a doubt, something may come up in your mind, but it doesn't mean you stop believing in Jesus Christ, right? It just means you have a moment of doubt, okay? A stable mental life means that you know how to speak truth to yourself, that you know how to deal with doubt, that when doubt arises, you know how to speak back at it with truth. I went through a period of time in my life Probably it wasn't long after we got married, um, my wife and I, uh, so quite a while ago, and I had basically an anxiety disorder, and it was pretty serious. It was crippling. And the way that the Lord brought me through that and healed me through that, one of the things that he taught me was that when I had this anxiety come on, I had to be able to speak truth in my own mind, right? I had to be sometimes out loud, but I had to be able to speak truth against this, this doubt or this, or this fear or whatever it was that was coming, I had to be able to speak truth. And that was what got me to where I needed to be. And that has been even outside of anxiety disorders. That has been something I've taken with me for the rest of my life since then is that sometimes we feel bad, we get depressed, we get anxious. There are things that come, it feels dark. The world feels like, like everything's bad. And in those moments, you've got to be able to speak truth to yourself. What's true? Who are you in Christ? We're more than conquerors. You already won. You're going to be okay. You got to be able to speak those things to yourself. And I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking here, although there's some whatever to that. I'm telling you that truth is always good for you. And that doubts and the things that make you fear and the things that make you depressed, that those things hurt, but truth helps. And so in our doubts, that's where we have to go with it, right? Um, if it doesn't lead you to reject truth, okay? I said rejection is different. If it doesn't lead you to reject truth, it's just mental noise, which happens. You have a very powerful brain, um, and that brain is going to do things sometimes, and you're sometimes going to deal with thoughts that are difficult. You've got to learn to speak truth to your doubts so that you stay, you keep yourself from rejection. C.S. Lewis, who you may have heard me mention before, um, he says this about doubts. He says, now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. So you have it, no matter what you believe, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your worldview is, there are always going to be those times, those moods, those doubts that come. The question is, what do you do with them? When, when I say believe with all your heart, I mean, what do you believe is true? At the end of the day, Yes, there's this doubt or there's this thing that comes to you. How do you deal with that? What do you believe? Christianity is a belief that you're basing your life on. Okay? It's the belief that gives you a reason for being alive. It's, 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 it's the center point of the life of a Christ follower. A little doubt here and there that you speak truth to is not going to hurt you. So, relax. Uh, you know, if that happens, if you ever start to have really, really serious doubts... Come talk to me. I'll fix you. You're good. Um, no, I mean, pray. And as soon as you're in the act of prayer, 
you're sort of saying that you don't really have too many doubts because you probably don't think you're talking to yourself, right? So you go through this process. But I just wanted to address that because he says, believe with all your heart. And I know some people will, will get to this place where they start to feel guilty about doubts that they have. Okay, let's look at the last couple of verses here. 39 and 40, it says, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, this is a pretty cool part of the story here, I think. There are a couple different views on what happened here, on what actually occurred. Uh, my belief is that these verses mean what they say. I'm kind of old-fashioned like that. Um, I, I believe that Philip was literally taken from this place and appeared in Azotus. I believe that's what happened, okay? In fact, the Greek word here, harpazo, is the same word that we see used in, in Thessalonians when we talk about the rapture of the church, to be taken up. That's the word that we have here. And yet there are some who suggest that it was more like Philip was just so filled with joy that he didn't come to himself until he was at Azotus. They want to take the miracle part of it out and basically just say that Philip was kind of, you know, just, just overwhelmed. He was daydreaming the whole time. He was just so happy. I find that to be not consistent with what we see here in the text, but I just thought I'd give you both views. Either way, the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing, right? This is the experience of the person who recognizes the power of what has happened when he chooses to follow Jesus Christ. He this is a guy who recognizes that he's just gone from death to life. This is a guy that, as I said, was rejected, was kept from, and then through Jesus, through learning about Jesus and the power of Jesus, he went from somebody who was kept out to somebody who was brought in, and he's happy about it. That's the way that we should react when we follow Christ, right? Now, Philip goes and he keeps preaching the good news, and we'll actually catch up with him um, about 20 years later or so in Acts 21. Some of you may be thinking, I mean 20 years until I'll get to Acts 21. I actually mean 20 years in the story. I make no promises about the other part, okay? Um, but about 20 years later, we see, and we actually see Luke himself. Um, the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Acts through Luke, as we've talked about. We actually see him meeting with Philip himself. So once again, we see that Acts is about facts and that Luke actually met Philip and would have talked to him and would have heard about this experience. Um, and so this wasn't just coming out of nowhere. So... Um, what, what should we take from this? Uh, a lot. There's a lot to take from this, but let's concentrate on a couple things. First of all, remember that the ordinary can become extraordinary when the power of God is involved. We see, now it's not that ordinary to run and overtake a chariot and all that kind of stuff, but what we see is at the end of the day, a conversation between two people. We see a conversation between two people, and at the end of that conversation, we see a man accepting Christ and his entire life changing, and that and that being a big thing for Christianity because of where he takes it, right? Um, questions, the way that he starts this conversation with a question, I think is very, very cool because my experience is, is that if you want to be able to engage someone about the truth of who Jesus Christ is, a great way to start is with questions. Where they're at, take them where they're at. Now, Philip was in a great position because the guy's actually reading the scripture and he's reading the scripture about Jesus. So it was kind of a softball there. You may not get somebody saying, who is this they're talking about here in Isaiah and get to do that, right? But, the, but to approach someone with questions is often a great way to open up this opportunity to witness, to witness for Jesus. And I would recommend that you generally try to start it that way, okay? Um, 
it's a, it, it shows that you're interested in this other person and what they have to say. Um, and if you listen to how someone answers your questions, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to further questions and further questions, which help bring the light of truth into the conversation. Um, instead of you having to preach at someone, you get to let them sort of discover it themselves through asking questions. So I think this is a great sort of um, guidelines for how to witness we have here with this question that he asked, okay? Um, the other thing is you should probably know enough about Scripture to understand the big story so that you can explain to someone when you're witnessing for Jesus Christ what the big story is, how they fit into that story, how Jesus fits into this story, right? How he's God, how he's our Savior, how it's about him. you got to understand story in general, and then you got to understand the big story. And we've talked about this some worldview, right? That we have this creation, we have fall, and we have redemption. Everyone knows that in the deepest part of their heart. Everyone understands this process of creation, fall, and redemption. It's not only something that, that we recognize um, in nature, which we do, right? This is fall leading into winter. So we had spring, right? And summer, and then we have fall and winter, death, fall, and then we have Redemption again, every single year, God's written it into the pattern of the world. Every story that you watch is usually based on this pattern. Everything you watch on TV, every book that you read, okay? All of them are going to base their pattern of storytelling on this idea. We have this situation, it turns into something bad, there's a conflict, and then the story has some sort of redemption, all right? There are there are examples that go against that, like Romeo and Juliet, where they die at the end, which I was freshman in high school. And I'm like, what? I read all this stuff and they die. It was horrible. Still getting over that. But the point is, is that we have this pattern and people understand. And there's a reason why people react to it. There's a reason why people keep going to watch the same romantic comedy with different characters over and over and over again, right? It's always the same thing. Boy meets girl. They start to realize they like each other. Something bad happens and then they get back together at the end of the thing. It's fantastic. But it's every single movie like that. It's just different characters, but people are drawn to it. Why? Because this creation, fall, redemption story is so big. And when you can go to somebody and show them that the reason this story exists is because it is the story. And what redemption is, is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That's what that was all about. You have a way in to witness for Jesus they already have a heart that understands these things. God has, has put in the very essence of who we are this desire to understand the story, to recognize our need for redemption. And when, and when it comes and when you show them who Jesus is, like this Ethiopian guy, people respond to it. So the church grows when we're obedient. Okay, We need to be taking the opportunities that God is giving us and get up and go when he puts us in situations where we can witness for him. He's told us we're going to be his witnesses, right? We're his witnesses. We've got to witness for him. And so that means that you've got to be having conversations with people about what's true and helping to lead people into the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And I know that that's difficult, and I know it can be awkward. But following Jesus is serious. It's serious. We're called to a serious business. This is about eternity. If we care about people, if we care about being obedient to Jesus... We need to be his witnesses and make his disciples, right? That's what we see here, right? God has called Philip. He may not send an angel to you. He shouldn't have to, 
There are plenty of people around you who you can be speaking truth to. There's a, a guy, an entertainer, a magician. His name is Penn Gillette. Some of you may have seen Penn and Teller. Teller's the shorter guy, doesn't talk, and Penn is the bigger guy, and, and he's kind of gregarious and talks. He's an atheist guy. And he tells a story. He says, there was a guy about his age that had participated in one of the acts in his show, in his magic show, um, as an audience member. And the man comes up after the show and he compliments Gillette um, on, on the show and he says, I brought this for you. And the man holds up a small book. It was a New Testament with the Psalms, something like one of those pocket size things that you can fit in your pocket. He says, this guy tells uh, um, Mr. Gillette, hey, I wrote in the front of it in this Bible. The man says, I wanted you to have it, okay? Um, the, guy says, the guy says, hey, look, I'm a businessman. I'm not crazy. This is really, I just want you to have this thing. Um, Gillette says that he was a kind and nice and sane man. Says he looked me in the eyes and talked to me, then he gave me this Bible. Penn says this, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means witness to people, okay? That don't try to convert people to Christianity. Says I've always said I don't respect people who don't do that. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Now, here's the interesting thing. This guy's still an atheist, okay? He's saying this as an atheist. And he's shaming Christians because so many of us are too embarrassed or ashamed, myself included. There are times when it just feels like it'd be really awkward. And I don't maybe listen to the Holy Spirit prodding me to say what I need to say. And he's saying, look, when I see that as someone who does not believe in God at all, I think you're a hateful person that you don't care enough about me to tell me that I might go to hell. If he understands it, that social awkwardness, keeping someone from telling the truth to somebody else is unloving, I think we should understand it too. We need to get serious about making disciples. We really do need to be much more serious about sharing our faith. I know it's scary and sometimes uncomfortable, but also worth every effort. And I hope that this Contemplate podcast is helping to equip you and give you confidence. But if you want more, and I hope you do, come see us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. You'll find all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call us at 360-885-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday. Well, that's it for today. But of course, there's much more ahead in our next episode with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.